Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Second Timothy. And this evening we're looking at Second Timothy chapter two and verses one through thirteen. This is found on page 995 in the Church Bibles. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We uh, have started looking at this second letter of Timothy, and you'll remember that last time we were saying one of the major themes of Paul's letter to Timothy is the theme of suffering. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy nearing the end of his own life. He's writing this letter from prison. But more than that, Paul is anticipating uh, his own end in terms of execution. Uh, That Paul has stood trial and he is now awaiting the uh, orders to be carried out where he will uh, not be around much longer. So there's an urgency in this letter. Uh, But there's also a a focus in what Paul wants Timothy to understand, that as as a servant of God, Timothy needs to understand how he is to conduct himself when Paul is no longer there, when he no longer has that support uh, in his mentor, the man who brought the gospel to him. And so one of the things that Paul has been laboring is this idea of being willing to suffer uh, for the gospel. And that's a theme that has really woven through a lot of what Paul is saying in these chapters. It began back there in chapter 1 at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul not only wants to impress upon Timothy the importance of suffering, that this is a, a necessary part of uh, the believer's life, but also the approach that he is to take to this, that Timothy is not to do this by his own strength, but rather by depending 
on God's spirit. He says uh, to share in the suffering by the power of God. That is, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. And neither is Timothy to go about this thinking that he should have a martyrdom complex, where he has the mindset that he must invoke or provoke hostility uh, in this world. But rather, it tells us that he has received the spirit of power and love and self-control. The same spirit that is going to embolden Timothy, to give him that strength to stand for the truth, is the same spirit that is going to cause Timothy to have a love for a world that is living hostile to the gospel. It's the same spirit that is going to enable Timothy to be level-headed, to have a sense of his surroundings and to understand his setting. And so Paul is telling Timothy to pursue, to continue in his ministry, depending on God's grace, to, to depend on the spirit to help him to stand for the truth at all costs. But that theme of suffering is one that Paul continues to talk about. And you remember last time I was saying it's, it's hard to know where to break off some of these um, passages. But we want to continue to look at this theme of suffering this evening. And we want to look at it in terms of uh, how it is uh, that suffering plays a part in the believer's life, or especially in the servant of God's life. We want to see that uh, uh, believers are to, to be willing to suffer uh, in terms of their relationship to Christ. Paul, in the opening verses of the second chapter, actually squeezes in three uh, commands. Those commands are actually interwoven. You see there in verse 1, he tells them to be strengthened by the grace of God. The second command is in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. And then the third command is to share in suffering as a good soldier. Those three commands, though, aren't really isolated from one another. Paul is to be, or Timothy is to be strengthened by the grace of God. But ultimately, that is a, that is a work of God uh, in Timothy's life. That he is to depend on God to, to, to live. He is to depend on God in the way that he responds. He is to trust in the spirit as he moves forward in faith. That second command that he gave was to entrust the gospel to others. In chapter one, he told Timothy to guard the gospel, protect the gospel, defend the gospel, shelter that gospel. This message that you have been given, don't let it be corrupted. But that's not enough. Timothy is not just to guard the gospel, he is to entrust it to others. That he is to entrust it to men who are described as faithful. That is, those who are trustworthy, those who are reliable, those who will handle the word of God right, and those who will be able to teach it to others. And as the late Anglican John Stott says, this is the only kind of apostolic succession that you see in the scriptures. That whereas there are some traditions like the Church of Rome that will make their arguments about apostolic succession in terms of persons and the rank of authority, true biblical apostolic succession is the passing on of the gospel from one to another. It's the message that has authority. And it is that message that Timothy 
is to pass on. So the message that Christ gave to Paul and Paul gave to Timothy, Timothy now is to share and to pass it on to faithful men. And it is to be passed along again and again, down through time, but also uh, extending geographically. So we see this command of not only be strengthened by the grace, but also of entrusting the gospel to others. But we want to especially come back to this theme of suffering because Paul does in this second chapter this evening. And we want to think about Paul's command to suffer there in verse 3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier. And we want to think about this command that Paul is coming back to to Timothy. And then we want to think about three considerations that Paul gives to Timothy about suffering in the Christian life. Well, first, there is the command itself. He says there in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus. Paul oftentimes does use military imagery in uh, the scriptures. Not militant, but military. Uh, That Paul is using that metaphor of a battle to describe something of what the Christian life involves. And he's using that here, comparing the life of a soldier Uh, to the work that Timothy must now engage in. If you think of a soldier, a soldier enlists in the army. They are brought into the army. They know that the life of a soldier is one of difficulty. A soldier is going to face many trials and many obstacles. Their life is going to get harder. And it's going to be faced with many things of unexpected nature. And so here he is making that impression upon Timothy that like a soldier where there is much hardship, so Timothy's life in following Christ is similar. There will be many challenges that he must face. Not that Christians are engaged in physical combat, but there is a struggle as they identify with Christ and they live in a context where that association with Christ may not be received or embraced by others. So in a world that opposes the claims of Jesus's lordship, uh, those who are servants of Christ should be uh, anticipating uh, struggle or even opposition. That is not to say, though, that the Christian life is one big burden. Uh, Paul's not trying to say that the Christian life is uh, dreary or it's just hard. Paul and the whole of scripture teaches us that the Christian life is characterized by the word joy, that it's characterized by the word of hope. It's characterized by the word peace, but it is a joy. It is a hope in the context or in the midst of suffering, not in the absence of suffering, that the Christian can be one who is going through very hard times and yet still holding on to hope still having a joy that does not abandon them, even in the midst of their suffering, but knowing that suffering comes with naming Jesus as Lord. That's what Paul is getting at here as he talks about suffering. So he tells Timothy, he says, share in suffering. Don't think of it as an odd thing. Don't think of it as an anomaly. Realize that like any soldier who enlists in the army, who is going into battle, there will be challenges. There will be a struggle. There will be opposition. That's part of it. But understand that you are called to this, that if you serve Jesus as Lord, if you're a citizen in his kingdom, then there is 
there is going to be a struggle. But he says, share in that struggle as a soldier of Christ. Because you belong to Christ. Understand why you're struggling. Understand why these hardships may be coming into your life. It's not strange. It's part of God's work. It's part of God's plan. But the second thing that he says about this command is he doesn't just say suffer as a soldier. He says suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. What makes a soldier good as opposed to just being a soldier? Anyone can enlist into the army. Anyone can put on the uniform. But what makes a soldier a good soldier? A good soldier is someone who knows their duty and then carries it out. A good soldier is someone who knows the command of their commander and then carries that action out faithfully. That's what makes a soldier good. If the soldier is told to defend this gate, a good soldier will defend that gate at whatever costs. A good soldier, if he's told we are going to take that hill, they understand that's our objective. We are going to take that hill. They are going to fight for what they know is their command. They are someone who is living in compliance with their captain. And so a good soldier is someone who understands what calling they have. And they're going to faithfully carry it out. And so Paul says to Timothy, you are to live understanding that you're a servant of your captain. You're to live under the authority of the, the lordship of Jesus. You are to live under the will of Christ who said, go and make disciples of all nations. You are to live under his authority, knowing that he has authority over heaven and earth. You're to live knowing that at whatever else, whatever cost, we are to be faithful to his will. And so he tells Timothy, Share in suffering as a soldier of Christ. If you belong to Christ, understand that hardship will come. But also suffer knowing that it is carrying out the duty that has been placed upon you. Understand it's not strange, but this is how the Lord works and what his people are to anticipate. Paul goes on and he gives there three metaphors, three imageries or illustrations to unpack what he's getting at. He says in verse 4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The soldier can't be distracted from his task. He needs to be engaged in, in, in the, the wishes of his commander. If he's distracted with these other pursuits, he won't be able to carry out those orders. He has a duty, and he has to have a disciplined acceptance of carrying out that task to completion. Their job is to do the work that was given to them. And in the same way, that, that illustration is just being applied now in different spheres. Just as a soldier knows their duty... So an athlete knows certain things need to be done if they're going to be crowned. The PEI marathon just happened not long ago. And if someone competes in the, the five kilometer or the half marathon or whatever, they know that there are rules to running the race if you're going to be crowned as a winner at the end of it. You can't start running the half marathon and then decide, I'm going to take the transit and I'll meet them at the end. Uh, you won't be crowned as the champion if you do that. 
you have broken the rules. You have done something that you're not supposed to do. And so an athlete knows there is certain things that need to be done if they're going to be crowned. They have a duty to follow those orders. In the same way a farmer, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. A farmer understands you don't plant and immediately harvest. You prepare the land. There is the sacrifice and tending to the land. There is the work that goes into it, the sacrifice over months, and then the harvest comes. Certain things need to happen before you reap the benefits. And so in each of these illustrations, what Paul is saying is, is that there has to be an understanding of what is required or what needs to happen. Some, certain things need to be done. There's a duty that is part of the Christian life. And so he's telling Timothy here, don't, don't think of suffering as something of an anomaly, but see it as something that is part of God's purposes. And it's something that we are to embrace as part of our compliance, our, our living under the lordship of Christ. So Paul brings all of this back uh, to this understanding of suffering in relation to Christ, being a soldier of Christ Jesus. We naturally uh, recoil at suffering. None of us wants to suffer. None of us wants the pain of having loss, loss of our reputation or loss of our comfort. None of us wants to have hardships. Uh, we want to be comfortable. But when hard things come upon us, it also makes us begin to question God's goodness. Why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this to happen? It, it, can, it can be a struggle uh, it, when we do suffer. But P, uh, Paul here reminds Timothy that it provides an opportunity to testify of our honoring of the Lord as being most important. So he gives this command, reminding Timothy of the importance of suffering. But then he also gives these three considerations about suffering. In verses 8 and following, uh, he says, first, consider Jesus. Then secondly, consider himself, Paul. And then thirdly, consider a trustworthy saying. First, there is remember Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Actually, that's, that's stated who has been raised from the dead. In other words, he has been raised and is alive forevermore. That Jesus' death was not the end. That his suffering on the cross was not the end, but rather that God raised him to newness of life. That Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice. He died to take away sin. But God raised him to newness of life as a proof that his work was approved by God. That's the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the message of good news that there is life in Christ for those who are sinners, that we can be forgiven. The resurrection testifies that God is pleased with his son and with what his son has done. But when Jesus was raised, it also becomes something of a, uh, an example. Remember Christ Jesus, 
who came into this world to suffer and die for sinners, has been raised to newness of life. That his path was one of suffering too. That he didn't shrink away from suffering, but that he endured it, ultimately to bring about salvation. He goes on, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. The offspring of David is, yes, it is a, a, a reference to the point that he is a descendant, humanly speaking, from the line of David, that he is fully human. But more than that, it calls attention to his kingship. Because the promises of uh, the Old Testament were that, that one of David's sons would reign forever. And so his suffering, which was momentary, leads to his eternal reign. And so he is saying, put these things in context. The one uh, who suffered is the, the king who reigns forevermore. And so Jesus' own experience illustrates this pathway of suffering leads uh, ultimately to glory. One person, George Knight, says it this way, he entered into his glory and reign through his suffering. He entered into glory after suffering. The one who has suffered and was crucified on the cross is the one who reigns now from heaven. So he says, consider Christ. He endured suffering himself and he did it for sinners. Suffering, then glory. The cross, then the crown. Jesus understood that something needed to happen before things would be realized. God's purposes were first suffering, then uh, glory. But then he also says, remember not just Christ Jesus, but he says, remember me. Uh, uh, this is why I'm suffering. Uh, I am uh, bound for the sake of the gospel. I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Uh, we may, again, recoil at hardships because it just seems meaningless. Why do I want to go through needless pain? But Paul here in prison is not saying that what he's doing is in vain. He's in chains, and yet he can say, I'm doing this with purpose. I'm suffering on account of Jesus Christ, his gospel. But more than that, what Paul says is, I am doing it for the sake of the elect. Remember what he told Timothy, suffer as a soldier of Christ, that we are not to be ashamed of the gospel, but we are to suffer by the power of God. The power of God's spirit that will give him strength is the same spirit that will give him love. And what Paul is saying here is, is he is willing to be bound in chains because of his love for God's people. For a love for those who need this gospel, that they themselves will come to embrace it in time, that the elect God's chosen would come to salvation. And that's what Paul says elsewhere. When he writes to the Philippians, he says, I'm in prison, but don't think that this means that things have been restricted. It's actually meant the advancement of the gospel. That's why Paul can end his letter to the Philippians by saying, those of Caesar's household greet you. What's he saying? He's saying the gospel is still advancing. That my suffering is not needless. It's advancing God's purposes. I'm doing this because of my love for sinners. 
that they would know the good news themselves so that others would see that this means something to Paul and that they themselves would question, what is this, Jesus, you keep talking about? So Paul says, we are to consider, remember Jesus. He suffered for the sake of sinners. We are to remember Paul himself, that he was willing to suffer for the sake of the elect. John Calvin, the French reformer, says, uh, speaking of Paul, he is prepared not only to die, but even to be reckoned in the number of wicked men. Isn't that an interesting way of talking? It's not just that Paul was willing to die for his faith. It's that Paul was willing to be scorned as repugnant, as something unfit for human society because of his love that people would know the truth. That's the work of the Spirit. It's not a martyrdom complex. It's a desire to glorify his God and to bring others to a knowledge of the truth. So he's telling Timothy, Timothy, remember Christ Jesus, who suffered and has been glorified. Remember why I'm in prison. I'm in prison for the sake of spreading God's message of salvation. But then he also gives Timothy a third consideration. It's a faithful saying there in verses 11 and following. It's not clear whether this trustworthy saying is something original to Paul or whether it is something that was known corporately by the church. This could have been an early church statement of faith. This could have been something of a church saying that they were all familiar with. Uh, We can't be sure. But however we understand it, there's a clear structure in the way that it's written. There's four lines with each one beginning with a if we uh, and then uh, an, out, uh, an outcome that is described, a result that is described. But more than that, you'll see the structure in this um, saying and the four lines because it moves. It moves from talking about the past in the first line. If, uh, if we have died with him in the past tense. It moves in the second line to saying if we endure in the present tense. It talks in the third line, if we deny him in the future tense, and then ends by turning back to the present tense, showing a very clear structure in Paul's writing here of this trustworthy saying. There is uh, some debate, especially at the end of this saying, about what Paul is actually saying. But as we look at it, we can see there is a clear push in Paul to say, in light of this saying, It is meant to shape the way that we live, that we're to be shaped by these truths. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we have died to our old old self, if we have died to sin and we have been united to Jesus Christ, Paul says, then we will also live with him. Our life now is united to Christ. We're to think of all things now in light of our union with Jesus Christ. Uh, And it is by our union with Christ uh, that we will endure uh, through suffering. He goes on and builds on that. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That if we are sustained in that uh, grace of God, if we have been united with Christ, we will be sustained through our suffering. And because of God's grace, it will ultimately end in reigning with Christ. The offspring of David 
who was crucified now reigns in heaven above. And so it will be with his people. Those who have suffered for Christ's sake will also share in his glory. They will share in his success. Paul moves on, if we deny him, he will also deny us. There's a solemn warning in that, that if we refuse him, an attitude of refusal that does not acknowledge and turns away from Christ, then that will be reciprocated. Jesus himself said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. The finality of Jesus's denial will be as final as their refusal to acknowledge him as Lord. But then there's this fourth line. After talking about the positive outcome, if we've died and been united with Christ, then we live with Jesus. If we endure, we reign with Christ. And warning of this negative outcome, if we turn away from Christ and refuse him as Lord, then he will deny us. Paul ends here with this statement, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And commentators are divided over that. Because we could understand these words as though it is talking about how God is faithful to judge the faithless or the unfaithful, those with no faith. That God will uphold his justice and he will punish unbelief. And that is a possible way of understanding these words. But there are hints that would point us away from that interpretation. First, we have to remember Paul's purpose in writing this. He is wanting to encourage Timothy with this calling of suffering. And ultimately, it is an encouragement motive that is driving this whole saying. But more than that, notice... As we look at it, that fourth line does shift from the future to the present. In other words, line three and four are not the same. It's not talking about the same thing. He said, if we deny him in the future, if this is our future state, this is our future outcome. Whereas in line four, he's saying, if we are faithless, talking in the present, God remains faithful. But more than that, The promises uh, uh, here being spoken of are about God's faithfulness. When Paul speaks about the faithfulness of God and of Christ in Scripture, he uses that language in a very uniform way. It always has the same connotation to it. God is talking about his faithfulness to save. It's talking about God's faithfulness to protect. It's talking about God's faithfulness to preserve his people. Paul doesn't use the language of God's faithfulness to talk about God punishing the wicked. And so when we look at the broader context of how Paul uses this language in scripture, it's clear that Paul is talking here about the comfort of God's faithfulness. Because we could look at this and we could see there's this responsibility on us that we need to stand firm for the truth. We need to stand firm in the storm when there is a a push against Christianity and we can feel the weight of that. And we wonder, are we going to be able to stand firm? And here's Paul's talking about the need to do it as a good soldier and the need to, uh, to be faithful to our captain. And we can look around and we can say, 
but I don't see that faithfulness in myself? Am I going to be denied by the Lord himself on the day of judgment? And ultimately here we have this comfort that even when we falter, we act without faith. Even when we see a faltering in our own life, there is comfort because God remains faithful. That the good news is is that God is faithful to his promises. And we can know of God's faithfulness because Jesus was faithful in his suffering. You see, that's what we believe as Christians, that ultimately all of us will falter. That ultimately the only faithful one is Jesus in this life, in this world. But because he was faithful, we can know that God will deal faithfully with believers. Even when they see that they have fallen short. Even when they see that they have compromised. Even when they see that they have shied away and cowered away. And so there's this, there's this tension there recognizing there's a difference between denying Jesus as Lord and seeing one as acting without faith at moments. There's a difference between one's aim in life and one's act in a moment. And here Paul is giving T- Timothy that encouragement. Yes, we are to stand as good soldiers of Christ. We are to promote the truth. We are to entrust it to others. We are to, uh, to, to suffer uh, for the sake of the truth. But at the end of the day, Timothy is to realize it's God's faithfulness that he's resting in. And because God remains faithful, we can serve, we can live free of that despair of being a failure. That at the end of the day, our confidence is in the power of God to save sinners. Our confidence is in God's faithfulness. Only Jesus is perfectly faithful. So as we look at what Paul is saying here to Timothy, he's talking about enduring hardships. Are we willing to endure hardships for the truth? Have we come to understand that truth ourselves? Do you understand why Christians are so resilient or so dedicated to a certain way of life or to a certain belief system? It's because they believe it's true. But more than this, it's because they seek to bring honor to one who is worthy. That they're willing to suffer for the sake of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over uh, Paul's admonition and instructions to Timothy, Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would give us uh, um, strength and courage, but also that you would give us uh, love and self-control, that we would be people who are knowing what it is that we believe, but also that we would be people who live in response to your grace. Lord, help us uh, to live in light of one's relation with Christ, to see uh, that if we belong to Christ, then it shapes all of, uh, all of life. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us then uh, to take seriously Christ's work. We ask for these things in Jesus' name.